begin by saying welcome. It's wonderful to see you all here. Um, Just so you know you're in the right place, this is the four-week intro to Vipassana. It's also known as uh, Buddhist mindfulness meditation and also as Buddhist insight meditation, so any of the three will work. Um, And my name is Tara Brock. I teach in Washington, D.C. area and also at retreat centers around the country. And I'm also a clinical psychologist in the area, so you'll probably sense in the way that I describe things that kind of coming together of the spiritual and the psychological. Now, just to give me a sense of who's here, um, how many of you have had some introduction to meditation, have practiced a little already on your own? Can I see by hands? Almost everyone. Um, How many of you have actually taken an introduction to Vipassana or come to Tuesday classes? Can I see by hands? Okay, good. Um, The word Vipassana means to see clearly. But you could just as well say to listen deeply, to feel fully. The practices of Buddhist mindfulness meditation are really practices of arriving really fully right here and now. So we'll just start that way. We'll just start with a very brief kind of entunement. If you will, just close your eyes. Close your eyes and establish a sense of presence by just feeling what's true right now. Feel your body, the posture that you're sitting in. Feel your breath. Include sounds in your awareness. So there's an open and inclusive kind of a presence. To be mindful means to know what's true this moment, to be connected with what's here. Another word is remembering, to reconnect, to come back again. can open your eyes. So this is uh, a gong, and it's one of the most common ways of calling our attention back. There's many, many pathways back into the present moment. But as part of our four-week series, um, we'll use the sounding of the gong to let that sound go, oh, yeah, come back. Feel your body. Feel your breath. Just practice this coming back and remembering practice. A story for you, and this is a story I heard when I first got involved with spiritual practice. A woman from Long Island decided that she was going to go to Nepal, and she called her travel agent and said, please set up this trip for me. And the travel agent said, but you always go to Florida. How come you want to go to Nepal? And she said, I have to see the guru. Just set it up. So she got that long, long flight all the way to India. And then she took the train. It's kind of an intense, grueling trip across India. And when people saw her, they asked her what she was doing. She said, I'm going to see the guru. And, and some of them had heard of this guru in Nepal. And they said, you know, when you see him, you can only say three words. And she said, I know, I know, but I want to see the guru. 
So then she takes the jeep across Nepal to the site where the guru is in residence, which is really a set of tents. And there's a long line of people waiting to see him to get darshan, blessings. She waits in this long line, and again she's reminded, you know, you can only say three words. I know, I know, it's okay. She gets to the front of the line, and the attendant shows her in, reminds her once again, and there she is in the presence of the guru. And he has on these saffron robes and this wispy beard. And she looks him in the eye and says, Sheldon, come home. (laughs) It's very easy to put meditation in this category of exotic and different and wearing certain garb and so on. And in fact, every tradition, every spiritual tradition, every religion has some practice of coming home, of entunement, prayer, reflection, contemplation, meditation. And as I find the uh, students in the Tuesday night group we have and, and elsewhere at retreats, many have a strong affiliation with some brand of Christianity or Judaism or whatever and find that the practices of awareness, the Buddhist awareness training, deepens their experiential kind of connection with the heart of whatever faith they're a part of. So it's not some becoming something different. It's not doing something exotic or different, but rather this meditation practice has to do with opening to the fullness of who we are. Now, throughout history, It's been a preoccupation of humans to touch that which is timeless, eternal, that which is infinite, numinous. Everywhere on earth, humans have sought sought the truth and the open-heartedness of a spiritual practice. It's the way of the shaman, the yogis. It's the way of all wise men and women. All truth-seekers, and and it's what brings us to yoga and meditation and in some way to service and all these different expressions to really touch what we cherish. It's called the sacred journey sometimes, this path that we're all on. And it's, um, I kind of try to make it clear at the beginning of introducing mindfulness practice that it's really just simply training our awareness to wake up. It's not a particular religion. The sacred journey for all of us in some way begins with a calling, some longing. There's some longing that brings us here together tonight, and there's some longing that brings us to any of the practices that wake us up, or an aspiration. For Lewis Thomas, it came as sadness. He writes, I don't really understand the source of our great cultural sadness, except to see that perhaps we have come so far without really knowing ourselves. So for some, it comes as sadness, this calling that in some way we don't really know who we are, or we don't really feel connected with our lives or with the earth. 
For some people, and this happens a lot, I'll have clients come in, it's a sense of skimming the surface, not really sinking into the moments and into the day, like kind of racing through life, being busy, being preoccupied, but not living it. And there can be a sense of despair around that, that sense of not really living fully. For some, the calling to spiritual life is a sense of not loving fully, that in some way we're withholding our heart, we're not fully engaged. Now, how we face our wants and our fears really will define what kind of life we're living. If we avoid our wants and fears and get very busy working or get addicted to substances or in some way addicted to other people, some way avoiding these longings, then there's a tremendous amount of suffering. It becomes our life habit. We're always leaning forward into the next moment. You know what I mean? There's never a sitting back and never really being here fully. One story a Jewish mother sends to her son a telegram and he opens it and it says, start worrying, details to follow. (laughs) It's that kind of living. It's like we're wired to expect something right around the corner is going to go wrong. So there's not a fullness of sitting down into what's true right this moment. Some people, in in trying to deal with the fear and the longing, will go on these self-improvement projects. You know about those? We all are on them. It's not just some of us. You know, just trying to become a better person. And then, of course, many try to fix the world or improve the world. Jimmy Carter was said to say, I knew my esteem was up in this country when people started waving with all their fingers. You know? So we go on these self-esteem, you know, it, it matters to us what we're thinking, what other people are thinking. Now there's one universal calling to spiritual life, one that we all are subject to, and that's realizing mortality. The more clearly we recognize that we don't have all that long, and we don't know how long we have, the more there's a sense of resolve about really cherishing and living the moments. I was teaching in Colorado a couple of years ago, and a woman in her late 70s was sitting the retreat. So I talked to her some, and I was just asking her, you know, what brought her and so on. And she told me that she realized she didn't have that much time left. And the truth of this, how temporary this life is was right in front of her. And she said that she had a lot of remorse over the wasted moments, over worrying and planning her way through her days and not really living the moments. And she just said, I want to honor the ones that remain. And that was why she came, just simply to honor the moments that remained in her life. So it can be quite poignant when we look at this with loved ones, how we kind of race through our lives and just to train our awareness to come back to the moment for the sake of really being here for the ones we love is such a beautiful calling. So mortality, intensity, the intense weather of life sometimes brings us back to remembering what matters. This is written by Robert Tuttle. 
After a vigorous brotherly and sisterly disagreement, our three children retired to be aroused at 2 a.m. by a terrific thunderstorm. Hearing an unusual noise upstairs, I called to find out what was going on. A little voice answered, We are in the closet forgiving each other. (laughs) But isn't it true that when we get reminded of what matters, it becomes so much more natural to drop the, the grudges and the pettiness and so on. It's said that when death makes the slightest gesture, all our pettiness falls away. We remember what matters. So my sense is that that is part of what brings us to spiritual practice. It's not a morbid thing. It's more a truth. You know, we're over the immortality complex of when we're teenagers or whatever, and we realize that these bodies and these minds are changing, and everything that we try to hold on to, we can't. And then there's some sense of what can we take refuge in? What is it that we can do that will allow us to really be here fully? I'd like to read you a line from uh, Carlos Castaneda's book, and he's writing... Uh, These are the words of Don Juan. Without the awareness of death, he would be an ordinary man involved in ordinary acts. He would lack the necessary potency, the necessary concentration that transforms one's ordinary time on earth into magical power. Just the thought, if you're imagining that you're on your deathbed, you're at the end of your life, and looking back and asking, well, what really mattered about this lifetime? What really would matter about how you live today? And sense what comes up. In fact, just to invite you to close your eyes for a moment, since we're at the beginning of this particular phase of the journey, sensing your aspiration, what brings you here, What's the longing or hope? And sense with some sincerity, you know, what what really matters today, this week, this month, about how you live your life? And you'll find, if you ask this question at the beginning of every meditation sitting, and at the beginning of different activities during your day, the day becomes more alive. Imagine if being with our children or our loved ones, if we could, for a moment, pause and ask ourselves, what really matters? Imagine how much more aligned our behaviors would be with our heart than some of the habitual ways we move through the day. So on the sacred journey, we experience a calling to pay more attention, to be more present. And this leads to a turning from a more superficial and habitual way of moving through the day to a resting and an awareness of our interior life. From the objects and achievements of society and its values to the heart and to the spirit. A friend of mine studied with a a Mexican shaman, an old Mexican shaman, who was, I think, at the time that he told this story, the the Mexican was 103 years old. (laughs) 
and he writes this. Um, his name's Don Jose Rios. I pursued my apprenticeship for 84 years. During these years, many times I have gone to the mountains alone. Yes, I've endured much suffering during my life. Yet to learn to see, to learn to hear, you must do this. Go to the wilderness alone. For it is not I who can teach you the ways of the gods. Such things are learned only by yourself and only in solitude. And it's not just the solitude of the mountains and the forests, although that's quite wonderful. It's really the solitude of, of the heart. It's, it's learning to, to discover a place of silence or stillness so that we can really listen to our lives. We're so busy, you know, that um, it takes going into the wilderness, you know, dropping our habitual activities in sitting practice and going to retreats and going into nature to kind of even see how much of a trance we've been in. Close your eyes for a moment and see if you can find your pathway back into this moment. Feel your breath, feel your body. Make yourself at home in just this instant, relaxing a bit, letting your weight down. The training in meditation is really simply to come back again and again. If there's a description or definition that's most universal, that's what it is. It's learning to come home by again and again just remembering, breathing, pausing. There is a saying that yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift, which is why they call it the present. Okay? If you reflect, everything that we most value is something that's experienced right in the present moment. You know, really feeling love isn't a memory, and it's not something we plan for the future. It's a very open, energetic feeling right in the present moment, as is creativity, as is awe. Our most valued experiences are right here now. So our practice is to find our way back again. One of my favorite Zen teachers writes that to be enlightened is to be intimate with all things. And intimacy means that we're here, that we're right in this moment. And it means that we keep waking up out of the dream of all the thoughts and ideas going on. So we'll do um, a little bit of meditation sitting in a more formal way. First, if you will, just take a moment to mindfully stretch your legs and then find yourself sitting in a posture that's comfortable.
the guidelines for the sitting posture to begin with. As you assume it, find yourself in a sitting position that feels stable, comfortable, so that you can sit as tall as possible, straightening the spine, sitting tall. But then in the midst of that tallness, relax what you can. So sitting tall, and then just loosening the shoulders so they relax, drop the line, feeling the hands in a soft way. You can put your hands wherever you'd like. Some find it comfortable to place them on the legs above the knees, others resting in the lap, whichever is fine. And then gently close your eyes. Let the bell be part of bringing you right into this moment. Take some moments to soften and loosen and relax in the body. Let there be an awareness of the aliveness, the sensations of the body. For today, our attention and our training will rest in the body. See if you can feel the body from within the body. Aware of sensations, tingling, heat, cool, the movement of the breath. Not stopping anything just feeling the life of the body. Pleasant sensations, unpleasant sensations, without any judgment, including an awareness, just the experience of embodied awareness.
Taking a deep breath and opening your eyes, coming back. Okay, now we're going to be doing a bit more, but just to check in with you, what did you notice when the intention was to feel bodily sensations, the the life of the body? What happened? What were you aware of? Anyone? Could you do it? Could you sit down in your bodies and feel the life of the body? Was it hard or easy? It's hard. Hard? It was hard. My thoughts kept wandering. Okay. It was hard to stay in this embodied awareness because your thoughts kept carrying you off. Right. How many of you noticed that you just kept going away? How many were aware of that? Raise your hands really high. Okay, so in case anybody felt like you weren't doing it right, pretty much everybody raised their hand. <laughs> so what that tells us is that the natural experience in meditating is to be pulled away from this embodied presence. It's important to know because to me the most uh, subversive thing that can happen in awareness training is thinking that we're supposed to not have any thoughts and supposed to be able to just rest our awareness wherever we want and then that feeling of I'm not doing it right. So right from the start in the first part of the first time we're together to be alert to that because minds are meant to secrete thoughts. That happens. And we get carried off. Which is why the first part of training is concentration. If I just said to you, pay attention to whatever arises, you'd get lost in the movies of the mind, yeah? So, first piece is concentration. Now, concentration is like aiming and focusing a camera. It's like coming back again and again to some object that's prearranged. It can be a candle, it can be a set of thoughts that are like kind of an affirmation, it can be an image, it can be a mantra, or it can be the breath. In Buddhist mindfulness practice, we use the breath because it's found that it helps, as with yoga, to yoke the body and mind, to bring together body and mind in a very ongoing way. So for this four weeks, we'll be primarily using the breath as a place, like a pathway to come back home again, a gateway. Ajahn Buddhadasa, one of my favorite teachers, was asked to describe this world. And he said, hmm, lost in thought. And we are. It's amazing when you think about how you move through the day and how many moments of the day are often these thought bubbles. It's like we have these TV sets inside our brains that are kind of out of control, flipping from channel to channel to channel. And 99% of the stations we land on are not that useful. In fact, a lot of what we're used to being lost in reaffirms a sense of inadequacy, that something's wrong with us and something's wrong with the world. So this training to recognize thinking and come back to an anchor like the breath is a powerful and transformative practice. It's radical. It really is. Let's um, do a little concentrative practice together. Again, if your legs are 
hurting in some way, just stretch for a moment and then come back up in the sitting posture. Again, sitting in a way that's both alert, so there's a quality of uprightness. It said we sit with the dignity of a Buddha, awakened being, and yet relaxed, quality of ease. Feel the sensations of the sitting posture. That's where your hands are and where you contact the floor. Consciously take a few full breaths. As you exhale, let go a bit. And then let the breath be completely as it is, natural. And sense where it's most predominant in your awareness. For some, it's the inflow, outflow at the nose. For some, it's arising, falling at the chest or abdomen. For some, it's primarily just the out-breath, following the out-breath. It doesn't matter which you choose, but choosing to rest the awareness in the breath in some distinct way, either at the nose, the rising, falling at the belly, or just the out-breath. And without controlling the breath, with a receptive attention, just notice what the breath is like, the actuality of the breath, the actual sensations. What's it like to breathe this moment? If you're paying attention at the nose, you might sense a swirling, tingling, that the in-breath is a different temperature than the out-breath. You might sense a pause between the in-breath and the out-breath. If you're following the breath out through the nose, you might sense the whole body's awareness going out through the nose into a spaciousness and then just pause with the in-breath and then follow the next out-breath out again, feeling distinctly the sensations. Resting in the breath as a raft might rest in the sea with a soft, receptive attention. And when the mind travels off, which it will, you might just name that, ah, thinking, thinking, and gently return to rest in the breath. Doesn't matter whether the mind leaves five times or 500 times. Just notice when you can. Ah, down that train track of thoughts, thinking, thinking. And find your way back to the breath. Relaxing into the next in-breath, our out-breath, rising breath, our falling breath.
When you become aware of the mind drifting, just note it. And without any judgment, relax back. Let the breath become a pathway home. It's a gentle way of taking refuge in the moment. Notice where your attention is. You can let this be a moment of waking back up into the present. Just this breath. Okay, opening your eyes. And please relax if that would help, stretching the legs or whatever. A question for you. What was it like to attempt to rest in the breath and come back again and again? What did you notice? So the question is, what about sitting still and how come we're sitting still? And first to say that meditative awareness can be cultivated in any position, in any place in the world, doing anything, you know, doesn't matter. 
Um, but like any training, over the centuries, they found that there's certain optimal ways to begin to quiet the mind some and listen more carefully. So if you are out in nature going for a walk, sometimes if you just stop and listen, you can all of a sudden, it's like everything drops into another level of presence. Similarly, in training awareness, if we do formal sitting practice and the posture is is good, you get that combination of alert and relaxed. And these are the two qualities of body-mind that maximizes our chances of being here, alert and relaxed. There is a stilling of the mind when the body becomes still. And the idea is not to get rid of thoughts, but we need a little bit of quieting to not be so lost in the dream. So, given that, if your body's not used to it, it can be really uncomfortable. How many of you felt very uncomfortable for that length of time? Let me just... Yeah. Exactly. So there's almost a training in learning to sit still. Um, I find that if I do some yoga before I sit, it's much better. (laughs) And how many of you come here regularly to do yoga? Yeah, I thought so. So to stretch out some, um, to breathe, to do a few asanas before you sit will actually help in the circulation and so on. Besides that, it actually is something the body learns to do just by doing it. So if you sit, and we just sat for, oh, five minutes. I mean, if so it's for the first week, if you sit just for five minutes a day and then ten, um, it won't be long unless you have something really off in the body that you can sit comfortably for 45 minutes. Now, a few other things. You don't have to sit on the floor, and you can experiment how you sit. For some people, sitting in chairs works a lot better. If you come on Tuesday night, you'll see that probably half the people there are in chairs. And that's fine. There's nothing less spiritual (laughs) about that. Uh, So sitting in chairs is fine. There are benches that some people use to kneel on, and that actually is easier for some bodies. Some people find sitting up against the wall and sitting straight but having their legs out. Some people find adding cushions actually helps. It's very hard to sit flat. I always have a cushion. So experiment. And this is, I'm really glad you brought this up. Experiment enough so that you find what's going to be best. And then after that, the practice becomes including with mindfulness the discomforts. That's critical because we can't avoid them. Whether we talk about the discomforts of sitting still or the discomforts of getting older and sickness and dying. There's some things we can manipulate in our lives, but there's some experiences that until we have the courage to open to and be with, we're always running in fear from them. So part of uh, Vipassana practice is really a training to stay present when it's difficult. And that does increase the feeling of I can handle life. Because if you can sit and learn not to, to have to react so much in a single sitting, that same freedom from reactivity starts to generalize. Do you understand? Uh, take it slow, little bits at a time. And while we're in here, if I lead a sitting and it's too much for your body, just very mindfully and slowly move. You can include the moving in your meditation, OK? Yeah, please. I was just wondering if you should be aiming for a certain time, like you said, up to 45 minutes, but can you get a pretty good meditation with 15 
Yeah, um, I call meditation like a sacred pause, that we're pausing from the busyness and dropping into the moment. And you can pause between phone calls. You can just stop and breathe and just have it be a minute at work and have it really open up your sense of presence and aliveness. Or you can sit for a formal sitting in the morning for an hour, and they're both, they're going to have different effects, but they're both really, really helpful. So it's really knowing yourself. If you have the kind of temperament that um, gets really ambitious and says, all right, I'm going to sit for an hour a day and I'm going to really master this, you might be setting yourself up for failure and disappointment and self-judgment. On the other hand, if you're the kind of person that thinks, oh, I'll never be able to do this, go ahead and try just saying, okay, no matter what, five minutes a day and see what happens. I would say as a general guideline, if you all started this week sitting for five to ten minutes and then over the weeks to come built up so that you were sitting for a half an hour, that would be wonderful. You'll find at the Tuesday night class we sit for about a half hour. Okay? Other questions so far, please. The question, is there a problem with lying down? No, except for that it might incline you to go to sleep. And um, some people, just because of what's going on in their bodies, have to meditate lying down. But if you can practice in a way that inclines you towards alertness, you have a better shot at alertness. So. Feel it out for yourself on that. One thing that happened um, just now was um, I realized when you stopped speaking that I become kind of attached to your talking so that I was kind of in sync with that. So that when you stopped, it was, it was different. It was kind of awkward. It just felt very awkward and kind of alone. Or, you know, yeah. And that's, it's helpful. Sometimes a voice is part of the, like the gong. It's a reminder. Just hearing the voice is like a, a continuous reminder to be present. Ultimately, everything in this world can become a reminder. You can look and see the color of the new green leaves, and that can be, oh, come back again, you know. Or see the eyes of somebody you love, and that's a reminder, ah, oh, stop, pause, be here. Or hear a voice. Or, we want to stretch our awareness so that this universe is constantly reminding us. And we start with what works best, which might be having a tape with a guided meditation on it, which is fine. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Other questions? Or just reporting in on what you noticed when you just tried to concentrate on the breath? Yeah. Did everyone hear that? How can you tell when you're here versus thinking about being here? Let's experiment a little, okay? Because that's a wonderful question. Why don't you sit up again? Okay. I'd like you to bring to mind, if you will, and think about the most challenging or difficult thing that's happened in the last day or two and think about it by remembering the context or situation. And close your eyes if that helps. Who was involved, if anyone else? What 
what you might have been thinking then, what was going on for you. It might be a vague movie in your mind, or it might be very, very clear and specific. And then imagine that you could put a frame around that whole mind movie, thinking, thinking, and now check in a very immediate way what's happening in your body and in your heart. Feeling into your body, letting your awareness sink into your body with that Zen question, what is this? What is true now? Come on back, open your eyes. Your question is really kind of at the heart of what we keep exploring in this practice. Because what we find is we're often thoughts a lot, and we begin to notice the difference between realizing, oh, thinking, and sinking back into a very immediate, intimate sense of just right now. And the only way to describe the difference, I could say it's the difference between dreaming and then in the morning waking up and there's a kind of vivid, real, ah, really here now feeling. But the only way to really, there's no way to put words on it, is to keep experimenting and noticing the difference, even if you have an idea of what's going on now, if there's some image of what's going on now, and just to drop the image. Thoughts are made of sound bites and images. Some people are more visual, some are more auditory, and most of us have both pieces in it. So for you in this practice over this four weeks, to again and again, just in the spirit of this question, sense the difference between being in a thought and being fully here. And let's keep checking in on what you notice, because I love the question. Thank you. Anything else for right now before we continue on? Do you have the idea of, when I say concentrate on the breath, what that means? The actual sensations of breathing. So it's not an image of kind of a map of your body with breath coming in and out, but you're actually from the inside feeling the sensations. Actually, it's... Yeah, that's it. Some of you might have noticed that I said you can either follow the in-out at the nose or the rising-falling at the chest or stomach, or, and some of you might want to see if this works for you better, just the out-breath. Now, here's the thing. If you follow the out-breath, let's all do it for a moment. Let's just check this out, okay? Again, establish a presence in your whole body. So for a moment, scan your whole body. Know that you're here. And as you do that, take a few full, deep breaths. Exaggerate the breath a little. Yeah.
few more full breaths. Now begin being very aware of the out-breath in the nose, as if your whole body's awareness could be established in the nose following the breath out. Imagine that you're following the breath out into a very spacious, open awareness. So each out-breath, feeling the breath, following it out, And then as the breath comes in, just simply pause, just rest. It's as if you're pushing a doorbell with the out-breath and just waiting for a moment as the breath comes in, mindful of whatever's happening, perhaps hearing sounds, sensing space, sensing your body, and then following the very next out-breath. As the breath goes out, see how microscopically present you can be with the sensations, as if you could put your whole body and mind into the nose, feeling the out-breath, dissolving outward with the out-breath into the space that's around you. And with the in-breath, just abiding in that openness, pausing, just feeling what's true, and then letting go again through the out-breath few more rounds. See how much you can feel yourself inside this. questions on that particular style of concentrating? Yeah. I find it hard, and I think I noticed it in that style, to not feel that I'm affecting the breath. Aha. So by paying attention, there was a sense of kind of controlling or directing the breath. You'll find that, especially at the beginning with concentrative techniques, that there seems to be some influencing of the breath just notice that and have the intention to be breathed and be paying attention and notice if there's a sense of contracting but don't worry about it because it's universal see observe heisinger's observation effects as soon and and thank you thank you That's it, though. And it's true. And that's where we're next going is the mindfulness that does not interfere with what's happening. But it's inevitable with concentration at first to feel a bit of that. So it's a good thing to notice. Yeah? Is there a right or a wrong way of breathing? (laughs) For now, let your intention be to not control the breath in any way. To not to absolutely not manipulate it. You might find you a very shallow breath. You might find it's long and deep. We know we have this idea that it's supposed to be a certain way. Drop it. For now, it's just to bring a focused attention on however it is. 
And you can place your attention either at the nose or the abdomen or the chest, or if you want, just with the out-breath. Those are the possibilities. I would encourage you not to uh, experiment for too long on that because it really doesn't matter. So mostly it's where it's most predominant is where you rest. And then just explore coming back again and again without any judgment. How are you doing? Okay, yeah. What if you find yourself falling asleep? A certain percentage of the time you will. <laughs> in fact, in any uh, group of people, a certain number, sleepiness is, is the energy that's most predominant. And we're going to be talking a lot more next week with how to work with challenging energies. But for now, not to judge it, because like anything else, it's just weather. You know, there's sleepiness, there's restlessness, there's sadness, there's happiness, there's tension. It's just another weather system. Ultimately, the wisdom in this practice is coming to peace with whatever presents. That's where we're going. To discovering a way of being present with whatever. Now, with sleepiness, that might mean that you open your eyes. I find if I'm sleepy, I don't sit with my eyes closed. Um, At retreats, you'll notice that a lot of people, especially the meditation sitting after lunch, stand up because it's very more awkward to fall asleep when you're standing up because, you know, (laughs) right? Sleepiness happens for different reasons. Sometimes we're sleepy just because we're really exhausted. We've been working hard. Other times, there's a sense of we're in this quiet room and some flag goes off like, oh, It's quiet. It must be bedtime, you know? And we just kind of, it's habitual just to go off. Sometimes we get sleepy because it's our way of not being with things. And many of you know that if you're depressed, it's it's a frequent symptom of just sleepiness is the way to not feel our lives. So part of this practice is to become aware of the energy and make the effort to sit up tall, open your eyes, and see what happens without judging. Thanks. Yeah. Is there a, would you recommend someone find like the best time for them to establish a uh, yeah. morning with maybe how yeah. through the day or at the end of the day? Is there a reminder of the problems of the day? Yeah. A good question again, because I'm going to encourage you to find a time each day for the next week, our weeks, um, that you sit and It could be before your day really gets going, or at the end of the day, or in the middle of the day, and it really doesn't matter. It depends on your biorhythm and your work schedule and everything else. But just to say, it really helps to preset it. Because if you meditate according to when you're in the mood, it doesn't work. (laughs) You know, sometimes you'll be in the mood and sometimes you won't, but there'll be no rhythmic regularity that actually seeds the positive habit of sitting. So to pick a time and also pick a place where you're not going to be disturbed. You might want to create an environment that's really conducive in some way. And then just sit for a bit. Let me um, give you the last piece of this because we're not quite at the end of what I'd like you to know about for tonight and then I'll open it for questions again. If concentration is like focusing the camera, we talked about coming back here, coming home, focusing the camera, 
mindfulness is taking the picture, is registering, ah, so this is what's true. You can get very concentrated and yet be in a trance, not be present at all. One teacher described it that we're like kind of a contented cow munching in the pasture. You know, you can be very, you can get very peaceful, but with none of the wakeful quality that mindfulness really allows us. The goal, and I don't like using the word goal, but the goal is to wake up, to wake up our hearts, wake up our minds, so that we can really feel the fullness of our beings. And that comes from both learning to concentrate so we can arrive again, come back out of these dreams of thoughts, but mindfulness also taking the picture, an open, receptive attention. Now, it's interesting to explore what stops us from being mindful. And what the Buddha described was that we are all conditioned to, when something pleasant comes up, rather than just being mindful, touching the joy as it flies by, as William Blake said, we grasp. And the extreme of that is we get addicted. And that when something unpleasant comes up, we resist. And as the Buddha describes it, our suffering in this world is that we're constantly on this kind of merry-go-round of fighting our lives, either holding on real tight or pushing away, which of course means there are very few moments that we in an open way, can be intimate with just what's happening. We're so busy fighting with things. It becomes a real powerful recognition when we sense how many moments there's a feeling of something's missing or I need something more. It's very revealing. And yet, that's the case. And I'd encourage you just kind of to scan Um, through the week and sense, is right now fully okay? Is there anything missing? You can ask that right this moment. Is there anything missing this moment? Is there any part of you that's kind of waiting for something else or not liking something? Or is there a real resting right here and now? You can sense it for right now and sense how you move through today. Was there a, a dropping into your moments and living them fully? Or was there a sense of leaning forward, trying to get somewhere? Trying to have the next moment contain what this moment does not? That's what the Buddha described as our basic suffering, the sense of not enough. And where it usually fixates, I'm not enough. And you'll be hearing more about this next week. That our greatest personal suffering is the sense that in some way we're deficient, not good enough. And that filters every other experience. We all want to feel good enough when we want to feel happy. And so what we do is we get in these projects of what it's going to take. Ways of improving ourselves, ways of getting recognition, ways of working harder so we can make more money. We have these ideas of, if only this, then I'll be happy. This if-only mind is, again, something that as we begin in Buddhist awareness practice, we become aware of. How our, how our life is organized around these if-only projects. And it's an interesting reflection to say, what are you attached to? What do you need to feel is in place? What are you waiting for? For some of us, we're waiting for the perfect partner to show up, and then life will be okay. No. 
or the perfect job or just to make enough money or to lose that 15 pounds. And so we're living in this, like we're on our way to something. You understand that we're not okay as it is right here. So wanting what we don't have and fearing we won't get what we want. There's a wonderful Sylvia cartoon I'll tell you about. Sylvia, is, she's in the guise of a fortune teller and she has her crystal ball and somebody's there asking her questions and the woman's saying, my husband, he won't talk about his feelings. So Sylvia goes, yeah, what else is new? But okay, okay, I'll work with this. So she looks into her crystal ball and she says, at the beginning of the year 2000, men will start talking about their feelings. Within minutes, women across the country will be sorry. (laughs) So getting what you don't want. These happiness projects, I love the way Henry David Thoreau said it. He said, we spend our life fishing only to find it was not fish we were after. You know? And it's true. When we look at our days, we, we think we're going towards something. And what we really want is to be in love, to be here fully. Yet we get hooked. So the training and awareness is really to recognize how we get hooked and to wake up again, come back here. Come back now into this moment. Thich Nhat Hanh describes it that we miss our appointment with life while we're trying to make things different. Isn't that great? Missing our appointment with life, which is right now. You know, we sometimes get have this frame that, well, right now we're learning this so we can then go home and do that, so we can then, we have this kind of sequence that goes into the future. And we, it's, not, it's kind of rare that we say this moment is as precious as any other moment in our lives. We're not on our way somewhere. We're learning to arrive. Just gently let yourself arrive in this moment, making yourself at home in your body. It's coming still, and it might be that there's uncomfortability, unpleasantness, and just note that, kind of with a gentle heart. Notice what's happening. It's described that this practice has two wings so that we can fly or be free. One is the wing of seeing clearly what's true right now. The other is the wing of compassion, that whatever you see this moment is held with kindness. In a way, it's, it's saying yes to experience. And you might try that right now. Just feel in your body and feel what's true. And if there's something that's uncomfortable, and for most of us somewhere there's some discomfort, just let yourself notice it. And as you notice it, wherever there's discomfort, it might be emotional, it might be physical, aim the word no at it. See what happens. Say no. No. A no that rejects, a no that doesn't like, a no that pushes away. And notice what it's like to say no to some place in your body or heart or mind. 
Imagine what it would be like to keep saying no in the next few, for the next weeks and months in the same way. Experiment with this. No. Just say no. And then take a few deep breaths. Now, feel the same part of your body or place in your heart, whatever you are directing the no at, and direct a yes, or direct the spirit of a yes, kind of agreeing to the experience. Yes, yes. With tenderness, with gentleness. See if you can include what's there and notice what it's like, what happens. Yes. Leaning into the experience, allowing. Yes. Imagining what it might be like to keep saying yes in the days and weeks and months to come. Opening your eyes again, and please sit comfortably. Hmm. So no's and yeses. What did you notice? Anyone? And there's no wrong answers ever when I ask a question. <laughs> what did you notice? Yeah, please. Uh, with the no's, my body tightened, and with the yes, uh, it softened around the place that I was focusing on, and actually so this is one possibility. No is kind of an extra contraction. And with yes, you the softening actually gave room for the pain to go away. Thank you. Yeah. It's kind of the opposite on that nose. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, on the nose, I was more relaxed on the yes. I was Could you all hear that? On the nose, there's more of a sense of you were comfortable with it. And on the yes, it was more vulnerable and tension. Yeah. Okay, now this is important. There are times that saying no is actually saying, okay, I'm not going to, we need boundaries. It's too much for right now. And saying yes makes us vulnerable in a way we can't handle. Now this is really important because it's not always the right time to open to life and say, okay, life, take me. I'll feel everything now. There are times that when we've been traumatized or it's just we don't have the container for the experience that rather than saying yes to everything, we stay with the breath or we get a massage or have a cup of tea and we don't try to say yes to experience. Eventually, in order to really come into wholeness, we need to include all parts of our being. There's no peace and there's no real freedom if we're holding off a part. But at times, temporarily, that very holding off is a feeling of empowerment. What do you think anger is? Anger is a big, giant no, you know? It's placing boundaries. And we, we need that temporarily sometimes. 
But what would happen if we kept on saying no is, is the important question. So thank you. Others, anything else you noticed? Okay. For during this week for your sittings, our main place of attention is the body. In Buddhist mindfulness meditation, we explore all the foundations of awareness, which include the body, feelings, emotions, thoughts. And we're going to do that sequentially. This first week, we're focusing on the body. Next week, we'll be opening to the realm of emotions and the heart. Every week, we'll be coming back to the body, though, because we are such a disembodied culture that there's no presence There's no intimacy with our lives if we cannot sit down in these bodies. So this is a precious training to connect with these bodies. And we might not be able to feel them all at once. I find with both clients and students that the more trauma there's been in early life, the harder it is to open to the sensations of the body. So then go slow. Be patient. Be gentle. Sense with your own discrimination, what enough is. So we say yes until we sense, okay, enough. That's it. I I don't want to hold more. The guidelines are play your edge a bit. Go to the edge of your comfort zone because that allows you to grow. Okay? Saying yes to what is. Now let's sit for one final meditative piece and then we will close. like to put some of the pieces together so you have a sense of, of what you can be practicing. As you come sitting, establish a sense of presence in the posture. So feel your whole posture. Take a few full breaths. And sense your intention, your aspiration to be here to be wakeful, to be present, to be open-hearted, to be gentle with yourself. And then gently find your way into the breath. Feel where the breath is presenting itself without controlling anything. This breath, this changing experience of sensations, be very close to your awareness. So you can soften into the breath, gently feeling the sensations receptively, either at the nose, chest, or abdomen. Letting the breath be at the center of your awareness unless some strong sensation arises in the body that calls your attention. If that happens, then you can let go of the breath and be with what arises, noticing it, letting it float, if you will, in awareness, saying yes if you can, feeling what it's like. 
If no strong sensations are calling the attention, to continue resting in the breath, arriving moment by moment with the simplicity of taking refuge in the breath. When the mind moves away into thought, not a problem, just note it, thinking, thinking, and then let yourself gently relax back into the next in-breath or out-breath, rising breath, falling breath, simply the out-breath. the kind attention returning again and again. So for this week, to take just a bit of time each day and practice befriending and coming into relationship with the breath in this way. If strong sensations arise, to include them, if you can. To include them with that yes, that allowing quality of attention. As well as possible, notice what the sensations are like. When they're gone, come back to the breath. Keeping it that simple for now. If the uh, mind goes off in thoughts, just name that. Thinking, come back to the breath. Yes? Well, I, I was wondering, like you said, feeling comfort, say, anger. Uh, and that's usually coming with a thought, so I'm just going to you go with the thought then, are you saying? For now, yeah, sure, say thinking and come back to the breath. Next week, we're going to, the, the mindfulness will be exten- extended to include anger and work with work skillfully with the different moods and emotions that come up. So for now, just sense it as it's a weather system that's coming through and notice it and then gently come back to the breath. You can name it. You can say anger. Yeah. Any other questions? Can we take notes? <laughs> you can take notes, but probably better to trust that anything that's basic to the instructions will repeat it again and again, that we're taping the sessions and that tapes will be available to you. And it's written down in instructions in the back and there's books. So, you know... I'm more not worried about instructions but the quotes. Oh, that's all on the tapes and you can get the tapes. Yeah, I think you'd find it distracting trying to scribble down these quotes. Just to say that there's a certain kind of attitude that really helps when you're 
training in a way, the awareness. And it's kind of like if you're training a puppy, you know. In a sense, the puppy's going to go all over, like these minds do. It's going to go off into the corner and pee. It's going to do all sorts of stuff, right? And you're not going to want to punish a puppy. Rather, it's gentle and firm. Okay, come back here again. Come back, come back. You know. Really befriend the mind. We're not trying to ensnare it. We're not trying to whip ourselves into shape. We're just trying to get to know the life of our awareness in a way and come into more connection with the moment. So it's a befriending. Swami Satchananda says, you know, there's a, there's a poster of him. Some of you might know him. He's this kind of Hindu guru with long beard. And in this poster, he's riding the waves on a surfboard. And he's not only doing that, he's in tree pose, which many of you know, you know. <laughs> And the quote underneath says, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. Come meditate with Swami Satchitananda on Monday nights. You know. And that's the way it is. It's the waves of thoughts keep coming, of anger, of this and of that. And our practice is to find the quality of balance and peace and presence in the midst. And it's very possible, and it's challenging, and it doesn't happen right away. So... Try to take the piece of time and practice a bit, and we'll talk more um, next week when you get back. We have a few announcements before we close, and then if anyone has individual questions, um, I'll stay around a bit. Here are the announcements. First, this Saturday, some of you may know that I'll be teaching a day long with John Shoemaker um, in Bethesda that combines what we're doing now with yoga. And it goes back and forth, yoga and sitting. And it's quite a lovely day of it. We do it twice a year. So if any of you want to still sign up, I think there's seven or eight spots still open. Um, and you're, I would call tomorrow and, and sign up if you want to because I'll be announcing it at Tuesday night class and then they'll all fill up after that. I'm sorry? Call here to sign up, yes if you want to sign up for that. That's this Saturday. Um, The other thing to tell you is on June 14th, which is a Monday, after we're done with this four weeks, there'll be a one-day retreat with Ajahn Amro, who's one of the best teachers in the country, and he'll be in Bethesda. So if any of you can possibly take off a Monday and would like to follow what we're doing here with um, something that can really deepen practice, it's something to consider. He's quite a special teacher. And there's no charge for it. It's just a donation. It's over at the River Road Unitarian Church. Also, come by any time on a Tuesday night if you want to join us. Uh, a number of you already are, I know. We have a regular class, 7.30 to 9, in the sanctuary there. And um, it's just a beautiful way to meet with other people doing this and, and continue to practice.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.